Jesus. Just receive right now where you're at. He's here. He's here. The King. Right where you're at. Jesus. 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 He's bringing rest to your soul today. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. Hallelujah. If you're sitting by somebody, just tap them on the shoulder and say, it's good to see you today. If you're there at home, just high five somebody there in your house. Look to somebody there nearby you and just say, it's good to see you today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Philippians chapter 3, we find a familiar verse. We're going to be going there starting in verse 7 in just a moment. But if I were to tell you today that I hid somewhere in the building a $100 bill, it's somewhere hidden in the pews. There's a $100 bill hidden in the pews today. And your job, you can have it if you can find it. <laughs> I saw some of you, as soon as I said that, there's a $100 bill. Some of you started bracing, getting ready to go find it. You were like, where is it at? I'm going to go find it. Is there, is there a map? Is there something we can use? Can you, know, can you give us a clue? Pastor, some of you might even give me a bribe on the side. I'll split it with you if you just tell me where it's at. We would go pursue after that. Hundred dollar. We're trying to find it, right? We're gonna look for it. Maybe if I up the ante a little bit, and said there was a thousand dollars. Wow, you know, you would, yeah, woo, yeah, we'd be after that. Why? Because there, we place value on that. We, it's something that we desire. It's something that we want. We place a value on that. It can help us pay our bills or do something, and you know, and, and there's a value there. The Bible tells us of a story. Jesus said that there was a man who purchased a field. He went out and he sold all that he had. He sold all of his possessions. Everybody say all. He sold all of his possessions to go buy this field because he knew that there was a treasure hidden in this field. He knew that there was a, there was a treasure there and he had to have the field to go find the treasure. He sold all that he had. He counted everything that he possessed. He counted it all as loss, so to speak, in order to find the treasure, the pearl of great price. You and I today have such great treasure. There is something beyond greater value. There's, there's something greater value than that $1,000 bill or that $100 bill. There's something more valuable, more real to you and I today than even that, that field with a hidden treasure. It is the value of knowing Jesus Christ. It is, the, it is the worth of knowing Him. It's the worth of being in His presence. You and I, as we sang the song today, are born, were created for my Father's house. You were created to be in His presence. You were created to live and to dwell and to have your being in the presence of the Lord. You know, people are all, all about today, they're, they're, they're wanting to run from being in, in gatherings. They're scared of being in church. They're scared of, uh, of doing things in public. They're but listen, there's a place where you and I can go, where there's, there's no effects of a virus. There's no effects of, of this broken down life. There's, there's no effects of the carna carnality of man. It's my father's house. It's, it's there in his presence I was made to be. It's there in his glory that I was made to live and dwell. And so today, whether you're in here or you're watching online, you and I were made for the presence of the Lord. You were, you were born for more than just sitting on your couch and eating bonbons. You were made for more than, than just sitting and doing your religious duties. You were, doing, you were made for more than just going to work every day and punching the time clock and, and going about your daily routine. You and I were born for His presence. A.W. Tozer has a book called The Pursuit of God. If, if you don't have it, I would recommend you getting it. It's not a large book. It's an easy read, but The Pursuit of God. Today I want to preach on, not the book, but I, I want to preach on the Bible that says, I'm pursuing after Him. 
I'm pursuing after his presence. And in Psalm 63, and I'll get to Philippians in a moment, but in Psalm 63, 8, it says this, my soul, David said, my soul follows hard after you. Your right hand upholds me. And so Tozer uses this phrase. He says, I I pursue hard after him. I'm pursuing hard after you, oh God. Can that is that your is that your statement in this life? Can you say, God, I'm pursuing hard after you? That word in the Hebrew literally means to, to be glued to, to be stuck on him. I'm stuck on God like glue. I'm I'm stuck on him. I'm I'm sealed with him. Nothing. My God, you know, it reminds me of that song, the old sister act. Nothing get you do can because I'm like I'm stuck to you like glue. Remember that? Okay, I'm butchering this song, but you remember. I'm stuck to you like glue. That I'm stuck to him. I'm clinging to him. Some translations say I'm 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 holding on for dear life to him. I'm pursuing hard after God. You were born. You were created for this. Are you pursuing after the Lord with everything, with all of your strength, with what Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all of your strength, with all of your might, with all your soul, with all your mind, everything within you? Are, are you pursuing Him? Do you get up in the morning and you think about Jesus? Do you go through your day thinking about Him? Do you go to bed at night thinking about the Lord? I think all of us need to hear the challenge and the echoes through the ages of time that David said, I am stuck on you, God. I'm clinging to you. You're the hope on which I stand. You're the life giver of my life. You're the joy of my soul. Lord, I'm stuck to you. I'm stuck. I'm clinging. I'm following hard after you. Listen, you can turn on the news and be distracted. You can turn on the radio and be distracted. You can turn on Facebook or listen to your friends or get on a phone conversation and get distracted. But but I want to challenge you today in the, the first, the outset of my message. If you get nothing else, get this. Pursue hard after Jesus Christ. Pursue hard after Jesus Christ. If you're listening and watching today and you get nothing else and you tune off, get this. Pursue hard after Jesus Christ. You'll never be disappointed. He'll never let you down. He'll never leave you wanting. He'll never leave you orphaned. He's come. Jesus, the King, the Christ has come. And he'll never, never, ever leave you wanting. I pursue hard after him. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. I'm going to read it from the New King James. And then I'm I'm going to go back and read it from the Passion Translation. Because I, I love how... The Passion Translation phrases this. But in the New King James it says, But what things were gained to me, Paul's writing to the Philippian church, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted as lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul's telling us right here at the outset of this verse, in verse 7, he's saying, just as the man who sold it all to buy the field, the pearl of great price, the find the treasure hidden in the field, that th- this is what Paul's talking about. He said, I, I, I'm an accomplished person. I have all of these things going for me, but I count them as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my lord for whom i have suffered the loss of all things and i count them as rubbish that i might gain christ the word that's used there is a dunghill it's where they piled all of the you figure it out and be found in him not having my righteousness which is from the law but that which is through faith in christ the righteousness which is from god by faith That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. 
Let me read this from the Passion Translation for you. They'll put it on the screen. Yet in all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I've now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the, to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord. To truly know Him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all of my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now, so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace Him as Lord in all His greatness. My passion is to be consumed with Him and not clinging to my own righteousness based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be His based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of His resurrection working in me. I will be one with Him in His sufferings and I will be one with Him in His death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with Him in His resurrection from the realm of death. I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can you just give him praise this morning? Thank God for the anointing and the righteousness of Jesus. I can pursue. I can, I can cling to him. I can pursue after him. What is our motivation in pursuing Christ? Why do we pursue hard after Jesus? Number one, we do it to know him. In verse 7 and 8, it says, Yet all the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I have forsaken them, and I regard it as nothing compared to the delight, the delight of experiencing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word there in the New King James was knowing him. The, the word in the Greek is to know him by experience. That, there, that Paul's writing to them, he says, I want to know him. I'm pursuing after Jesus. I'm pursuing after his righteousness. My passion is single focus after him. Like David said, one thing have I desired, and that is to know him, to see him, to know him, to experience him. Is that your passion today? Is that, is that driving you today to know the Lord? Not just have prayed a prayer at an altar one time. and Not just to hear a message one Sunday. Or come to church just to see a couple people and check the box. Or tune in because it's something to do on a Sunday morning. But is it your passion to know Him? Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He said that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. In Ephesians chapter 3, he says that being rooted and grounded in love, you might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the, the length, the height, the depth. And to know, I love this, to know the love of God. Can you just leave that up for a moment? Verse 19. To know the love of God. To know the love of Christ. Which surpasses all knowledge. That you and I can know Him. That we can know God. Something that we can't even Understand in the natural. Paul's saying you can't comprehend this in the natural. You can't comprehend this love in the natural. It surpasses human knowledge. It surpasses human wisdom and understanding. But this is the very thing, Paul says, I want you to know. The thing that you can't know, I want you to know. That's kind of like telling your kids, I, I, I want you to climb up on the roof and tell me what does it look like up there to see the rest of the neighborhood. In the natural, we would never send our four or five year old up on the roof to explore out the neighborhood. But, but we're trying to get a, a glimpse of something that we can't see from ground level. 
But that Paul's telling us, you, you can't even begin to comprehend. I want you to get out into the dangerous waters with God. I want you to get out and pursue him past the comfort of your church pew. I want you to get out. My God, I wish somebody would hear me. I want you to get out past the comfort of your home. I want you to get out past the comfort of your TV. I want you to get out past the comfort. you got to experience something greater. you got to get out into the deep things of the love of God. I thank God for the basics. I thank God. I mean, the basics is what saved us. The basics of his love is what redeems us. But there's so much more. Pursuing Christ is to pursue after all the greatness. If, if, if you come to Jesus and you pray a prayer and there's no pursuit, I question how deep your salvation really goes. Because when, when salvation, when the grace of God has its effect... On your heart, it leaves a deposit called pursuit. It it leaves a stirring and a longing in your heart for something more. It's not just praying the prayer, checking the box, and I'm done on my way to heaven shouting glory. But when you've really tasted, when when God has come and you know him. Does anybody hear me this morning? I, 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 know, there, I, I know there's people out there in, in, in camera land that are, that are shouting me better than you're shouting me today. But, but, but there's, there's a reality that when I came to Christ, I, it, was, it was as a young child. But I, but I remember that moment at 20 Harville Court in Cottage Hills, Illinois, 62018. I remember that place that, that's now an apartment complex. But it was, it was our children's church facility. And I remember hearing the teacher teach about Jonah and the well and using the flannel graphs. And all of a sudden they turn off the lights and turn on a black light. And Jonah is in the belly of the well. And I thought as a kid, I don't want to be Jonah running from God. I want to know him. And I remember going to a little wooden bench that was an altar and giving my life to Jesus. That happened 30-something years ago, but it's still like it happened yesterday. Does anybody hear me this morning? Do you remember the day where you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I thank God for that day. I relive that moment. But I remember other days. That was the start. That was the beginning. But I remember the day when I was, when I was a child at, at Lake Williamson Christian Center in Carlinville, Illinois, where I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. And I remember praying in tongues and unstoppingly. I remember, I remember the speaker, their missionary, their Assemblies of God missionaries. And, and she had her little puppet that she was up on the thing. And Ed and Sonia Corbin, some of you might know Ed and Sonia. And I remember Sonia Corbin doing her puppet. I remember Ed Corbin saying, Jesus is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And I remember that, that, that I went down to that. If, if that building was the same today, it's been renovated. But if it was the same, I could take you to that place today where Jesus baptized me that first time in the Holy Ghost. I remember when Jesus called me into ministry. I'm talking about knowing him. Does anybody hear me this morning? I'm talking about knowing him. I, I remember those moments with him. I remember the, it's not just one-time experience. It's ongoing every day knowing Jesus Christ. I remember when he called me into ministry. I remember, I remember when, when I got filled with overflowing, unstoppable, unexplainable joy and fell out of my seat at a church in New Orleans, fell out of my seat at Victory Fellowship, about half the way back, falling out of my seat, rolling on the floor while Pastor Frank's preaching. And I remember trying to stop it. And the more that I stopped it, tried to stop it, the more it came. And the more it came, the more I rolled and laughed. It was the the unexplainable, supernatural, inexpressible fullness of His glory. I remember that. I remember those moments. Pastor, you're silly. Yeah, I am. I I remember knowing Him. I, I remember those moments. And I know Him. It's every day. I remember the moment in, 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 in Louisiana when I thought, I've moved into a place with a bunch of crazies. <laughs> God, why did you move me? What is happening? Have you ever been there before? And I remember sitting at the foot of my bed one night 
and, and had to make the, the ultimate decision. God, what am, am I going to surrender to your will here in this? Or am I going to keep resisting? You know, that's a powerful prayer to pray. Lord, am I going to surrender to your will or am I going to keep resisting? <laughs> to know, I'm talking about knowing him. Sometimes to know him means that your will has got to go on the altar and burn. Sometimes to know him, it means our flesh and what's comfortable to us has to get on the altar. I'm preaching better than you're shouting this morning. Sometimes things have got to burn, baby, burn. Anyway, I want to know him. I remember sitting at the foot of the bed and turning on Rita Springer and the song, I want to sit at your feet, drink from the cup in your hand, lay back against you and breathe. And I remember God coming. It was like he walked into the room and sat down with me. And I, there's no joke. It was like he sat down with me. And I don't know what happened, but the, his glory came in that room. And I, I came to, that song was on repeat. I, I, and I say I came to because I don't know how else to explain it. I came to two hours later on my floor in the fetal position, and it was like God, had, I was wrapped up in God's arms. It was like somebody was sitting there holding me, had their arms wrapped around me, and I was sitting in somebody's lap. It was God holding me in that moment. That's, what, that's all I needed. It was just enough. It was his love that calmed the storm and said, God, okay, my will's going to burn. That's okay. My, it's, this is good. You've got this. To know him. I remember the moments. I, I, I can go through moment, moment, moment where God has made himself known. I remember when God said you're moving to a high. I'll never forget the moment. I'll never forget when I was sitting down at our house on River Ridge. In River Ridge in Louisiana. Right outside of New Orleans. Where it was just a block or two over from the river. And I remember sitting there on our computer. And the Lord saying it was time to transition. I'll never forget on the drive to Illinois. In, in August of that year. Of the year prior. And God said, you're transitioning. I'll never forget sitting at my computer. And when I hit the send on the email to the transition team of this church that God said, you're moving to Ohio. I, no, nobody here knew us. We didn't know anybody. We didn't even know Akron, Ohio existed. The only thing I knew about uh, Akron, Ohio was Ernest Angley. That was the only thing I knew about. I know. And, and everybody in the room, for those that are on the TV, are shaking their heads. I'm sorry. That's all I knew. I didn't know anything. Until we came here and Mike Sloan took us on a three-hour tour. And we got to learn. We didn't shipwreck, thank you, Jesus. But we went around and we saw the city and got to learn that there was a lot more. <laughs> yeah. But I remember those moments where God said, and in that, you see, that to you, that may not seem like a big deal to, for God to say to you, you're going to move across the country. <laughs> but to, to us, that was a big deal. We didn't want to move, first off. And secondly, in our natural self, we didn't want to move. Secondly, that's, there were a few things that had to get worked out for that to happen. There was actually quite a few things. There was five specific things that I said to the Lord, if we're going to do this, you got to do this. There's five things, because th these five can't happen. If these don't happen, we can't move. That's just reality. It wasn't me being obstinate. It was just the reality. Have you been there? Just really practical. God, you spoke this. Listen, when God reveals himself to you, a lot of times we try to jump off the deep end in some super spiritual thing, and it's actually quite very practical. You know, we didn't just pick up our stuff and say, okay, let's move across the country now because God said move. We could have done that, and it could have gone absolutely miserably. But we said, okay, God, that's what you spoke. Here's how that aligns. We sat down and allow him to continue to reveal to us. And over that week, those five things, every night I had a dream that week, a dream every night, not a visual dream. It was God speaking to me in a dream. It was his audible voice in the dream telling me what he was going to do about each of those five things. And it, sure enough, exactly as he spoke, each of those five things. And the fifth dream was a dream of the house that we moved into when we moved here. It was, a, it was actual God showing me where we were going to move and that he was going to take care of my family. And this is how he was going to do it and showed me the house we moved into. Which happened to be a miracle that we even got that house. We walked in and there was people ahead of us already signing off that they wanted it. We walked in, said we want it, signed off, and they gave it to us because we were preachers. <laughs> Yeah. 
He said, I'm assuming because you're pastors that you're going to take care of this place. And I said, I don't care. Just give us the, well, here's the money. I don't care. We want to have, y'all know how hard it is to find a house around here? To know him, to know him. In Hosea chapter 6, it says, let us know him. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. I love this. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. The word knowledge there, again, it's the Hebrew word comparatively compared to the Greek word. The Greek word is genosko. The word here in Hebrew is yada. It's to know with intimate experience. Pursue the intimate relationship with the Lord. Why am I motivated to pursue Christ? Number two, it's to demonstrate my justification. Now let me talk about this. You might hear this and it, and, and it should kind of raise a question mark. It should kind of hit you and say, what does that mean? In verse 9, and I'll read it from the Passion Translation, it says, My passion is to be consumed with him, not clinging to my own righteousness, based in keeping the written law. My righteousness will be his, based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, the very righteousness that comes from God. And so as I pursue Christ, I'm demonstrating the righteousness of God, the, the, the justification the righteousness that we receive from Christ is given to us by faith. You can't earn it. It's a gift. You were guilty and Jesus declared you innocent and he clothed you with his righteousness. He, he's a, the Bible says that he's an all-consuming God. He's clothed you. You are swallowed up in. You're immersed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. You've been justified by faith, but it's demonstrated by our pursuit. Your justification is by faith, but it leaves a deposit to pursue after God. That justification comes and it and it and it and it stirs in you. It places in you this desire to continue on. Saving faith is an ongoing desire for Christ over all other values. You're pursuing after it's the man who sold the sold all he had for the field to pursue after Christ. It's, a, it's the evidence that Christ is real in your heart. When you pursue after Christ, when you set Him as your priority, it's demonstrating the saving work of God in your life. Faith doesn't come by works, but the works of Christ are the result of saving faith. When you're born again, there's a change in how you live. It doesn't mean that the work of God in your life is perfect and complete. The Bible tells us clearly that he is the author and the finisher, the perfecter. It's an ongoing sanctification, an ongoing change, an ongoing living in his presence. That's why we pursue, is that he comes and in that one moment he changes everything. He obliterates our past. In Acts chapter 3 verse 19 it says that he, he, he obliterates. He obliterates our past, but it, it doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us with, with just the past gone. There's a stirring and a longing in our heart for more. It doesn't mean that your faith is perfected, but there's a drive and a desire for more of Him. When's the last time that you've thought about the work of righteousness in your life? When's the last time that you've thought about the righteousness of Christ and like Martin Luther began to beat upon the Gospels, upon the Pauline epistles, you began to beat on the Word of God, pursuing Him in His Word, beating upon His Word. When's the last time that you, you picked up one of those old books by Tozer or Edwards or Calvin or others, and you began to read and beat upon the Gospels in the written words of others and begin to dive into Scripture based on what you were reading and exploring it for yourself. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. When's, when's the last time you picked up another translation of the Bible and began to beat upon the Word of the Lord, beat upon the righteousness of God? Say, so, Pastor, I got a devotion. Good, that's a great place to start. But don't stop there. 
Don't just stop at a devotion. Thank God for those daily words and those day. But if that's how you're feeding yourself, it's like feeding. It's like going to. Now I know nobody's going to the buffet these days, but it's like going to the buffet and going right to the dessert section. It's good stuff, and it 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 might last you for for a couple hours, but then you're going to hit rock bottom because there's a sugar crush, and it's a, you know crash, and you're just going to, and that sugar crash is just going to leave you. Well, that didn't do much. I I know the bread pudding's good, and I know the ice cream's good, and I I know the brownies. I know they're good, but 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 you got to have the meat. Tell somebody next to you, say you got to have the meat. You got to jump in, dive in, beat on the word of the Lord, and and pursue Him. There's, there's a desire in you for that. If you're, if you're grabbing those devotions and you're grabbing, you're reaching for something quick. Let me, let me address this for a moment. If, if, if your spiritual life is grabbing for those quick bites, tuning into a Facebook broadcast, watching a devotion online, watching a YouTube sermon, listening, listening to a podcast. Hey, listen, all those things are good and I'm going to tell you to do them and I'm going to encourage you to do them. By all means, do them. But if that's where it stops, all you're doing is you're grabbing for a quick snack on your journey. All those things are a quick little bite along the way. It's something to, it's something to help you along your journey, but it's not the meat. It doesn't, it could, you could be listening to my sermons over again, and you need to. They're on podcasts, and they're online, and we send them out an email. I mean, they're, all, they're everywhere. You need to read the blogs. You need to feed yourself. But those are just quick little bites along the way. At some point, you've got to dive into his word for yourself. Can I get an amen? I, I know that it's challenging in the day in which we live to make this a priority. But I will, I will finish what I started to say, and that is that God has placed that desire in you. That's why you're grabbing for those quick bites. When, when you're hungry, how many of you know when you're hungry, the, you start the quick bites, you start grabbing for the sugar, the easy stuff. I'm going to give you a lesson on nutrition real quick. When, when, when you're, because I, I know this from experience. When, when you're hungry, you just grab what's quick. You don't want to sit down and fix a burger or a steak or, you know, you don't want to take the time to fix all those veggies and the salad and all the, you don't want to do all that. You want to just grab something quick that's processed and something that make you feel like you're full real quick and it's full of sugar and processed stuff and come on now. And you... You look like Cookie Monster on Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then what happens? Two hours later, you're hungry again. It's the same thing spiritually. You're, you're, grab, you're hungry. Your body's telling you. Your spirit man is telling you you are hungry. And you can go for the water, the nutritious water of the word and the meat of the word. You can dive in to the depths or you can something quick. And those are okay every once in a while. But that's not going to be how you live. Do you hear me this morning? you got to pursue. There's, I, I just want to shine a light that there is a desire on the inside of you. I'm not beating you up. I'm telling you there is a desire on the inside of you for something greater, something richer, something more full, something more filling. John said of his fullness we have had grace for grace. There's something crying out, Jesus, for, for more, for more of him. Deep, the Bible says deep, calls into deep. There's a deep longing on the inside of you for something that's more satisfying. Give vent. I give you permission. Feast on God. Pull up to the table of the Lord and pig out. You can never get enough. You can never overindulge eating on his word. You can never overindulge drinking of his presence. You can never overindulge having him. Have a drink. The third motivation of pursuing him is to experience his resurrection life. 
Paul said in verse 12, and I'll read it from the Passion Translation, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. Here's Paul humbling himself and saying, I'm not there yet. If Paul could write those words and say, I admit, I'm not there yet, then all of us should be able to willingly and easily say, I'm not there yet. There's more. I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been told I have all of God that I need. People have said, I don't need any more. I don't need to pursue any more. Everything that I need, I got at salvation. The sad thing is there is that if Paul said it, certainly we all need it. Paul repeatedly said, I've not arrived. He admonishes us to continue to drink, to feast, to keep eating, keep drinking. Even Jesus said that he who keeps coming to me to drink. We have to keep coming, keep drinking, keep eating. There's resurrection, resurrection life for you and I. Doom and gloom is like hanging out in the cemetery after Jesus has raised you from the dead. If you live in depression and despair and doom and gloom and that's where you camp out, it's like saying, okay, Jesus, thank you for resurrection life. But I'm going to stay in the cemetery. I'm going to stay, stay in my grave clothes. I'm going to stay wrapped up in the mess that, that you actually liberated me from. You and I need the resurrection life of God. What does that mean? It means we've got to leave the cemetery. Paul said, I count it all as loss. I, I, I forget it. I lay it behind. It is what it is. I can't change yesterday. I can't change the past. I can't add to it. But one thing I do. The one thing I can do, and that's press on to take hold of Christ. What does life look like in your situation pursuing after Christ? What does it look like to pursue Christ, to forget what lies behind and to take hold of him? What does it look like to lay aside the family drama? What does it look like to lay aside the work drama? What does it look like to lay aside the financial drama and to cling to Christ? <laughs> you, can, you can be in doom and gloom over it all, or you can take hold and say, Jesus, I'm not staying in doom and gloom. You resurrected me. You gave me new life. You gave me new joy. You gave me new hope. And so no matter what happens, I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I was, I was born for this. I was created for this. In John 6, verse 63, Jesus said, The words that I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and they are full of life. His word is resurrection life. Yes. Jeremiah said, When I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight. They are my joy and they are my heart's delight. Your word is my joy. Your word is my delight. Why do we pursue after Christ? Number four, he has made us his own. Verse 12 through 13, I'll read it from the Passion Translation. It says, I admit that I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing, but I run with passion into his abundance. I love that. I run with passion into his abundance that I might reach the purposes that Jesus Christ has called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I have one compelling focus. It's on the screen. I want you to read it with me. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. That's what I do. I forget it all. I press on. I press on. Why? Because Christ, he says here, has taken hold of me. Christ has apprehended me. He's laid his hand upon me. In Psalms 139.5 it says, you've enclosed me. You've hemmed me in and you've laid your hand upon me. <laughs> I want you to think about that. That Jesus came. Saul was on the road to Damascus to kill some Christians. And what happened? Jesus came and laid his hand upon him. <laughs> when did Jesus come and lay his hand upon you? 
Oh, that, that, that moment when Paul, Paul, when he laid his hands on others, he knew, he knew what it was like to have hands laid upon him. He, he had Jesus' hands laid upon him. You have, my friend, had Jesus lay his hand upon you. He set you apart. The priests in the Old Testament had hands laid upon them, oil poured upon them. Why? To be anointed, to be set apart. Jesus has come and he's laid his hand upon you to set you apart, to place his anointing upon you and to set you apart. You have been set apart for the Lord. He's made you his own. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. What does it say? Therefore glorify God. His hand has been upon you. His hand's upon you right now. His hand set his hands upon you right now. Right where you're at, whether you're at home or in this building, his hand's upon you. If you just if you just quiet your soul for a minute and take note, the hand, I feel his hand upon me this morning. I feel him standing right here with me as I'm preaching his word. It's like his hand is on my back. It's like his hand is upon me. His anointing is, is upon me. His hand is on his word. His hand is upon his minister. His hand is upon you. You've been separated as kings and priests unto the Lord. And his hands have been laid upon you. How do we pursue God? Three things. I'll wrap this up. Three things. How to pursue Him. Paul tells us here in Philippians chapter 3. Number one is you've got to develop a holy dissatisfaction. Paul said, all of the accomplishments, all of my boasting, everything, I count it as loss. In verse 7 he says that nothing can compare to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Nothing can compare to knowing Him. If, if you take the successes of this world, you take the accomplishments of this world, you take all that I have, the family, and the, all that I have, it's, it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. I've not obtained it. I, I've not been made perfect yet. Let me ask you this. What joy have you yet to experience in the Lord? What revelation have you yet to experience of Him? I don't mean that negatively, saying, well, this is where you lack, you horrible Christian. I can't believe that you, you haven't met. That's works of the law. That's, that's, that's the response of the law. What checkbox haven't you met yet? That's not what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, what joy and delight... What, what experience, what revelation, what knowledge have you yet to encounter? Because there's more. There's more to have. There's more to know. Where are you lacking? What's not there? Because there's more for you. He invites you to pursue him. He invites you. Man, he, he puts that in your heart to pursue. And so we develop a dissatisfaction for this life. We say, thank God for his blessings. That's why a gospel that is prosperity focused will always leave you wanting. Do I believe in the prosperity of the Lord? Absolutely. Do I believe in the blessing of God? Absolutely. Do I believe that he wants you to be blessed? Absolutely. Do I believe that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Absolutely. It's what his word says. But if, it, if that's my focus, is what he can give me, then I don't have a Lord, I have a genie. I don't have a savior, I have a, I have a hired hand. That's not my Jesus. There's something greater, there's something deeper. And so I pursue him. He's my focus. He's the center of my gospel. Pastor, you talk about Jesus all the time. Good, that's what, he's the center. You're always reading scripture. Your sermons are always filled with the word of God. Good, because he's there. Jesus is on the pages. If I'm telling you anything but this, I'm feeding you a lie. I could come in and read a verse and give you a good story about it. Make you feel good about yourself. Maybe even stir you to some sort of spiritual action. But I'm not giving you something that is going to root, that, that, that's, that's going to root you down, that's going to anchor your soul in the time of storm. 
I'm not giving you something that's going to produce a revelation any deeper than the story that I tell you. So if you want a pastor who's going to tell you stories, you got the wrong guy. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the Bible. Because it's the anchor of your soul. It's where the revelation of Jesus comes. The preaching of the word produces worship. How do I know I'm doing the right thing? Because people are worshiping God, man. <laughs> How do I know we're on the right track? Because people are loving Jesus. I don't determine my success or failure by the numbers. Numbers are helpful. Not in today's world, but they're helpful. <laughs> they used to be. I don't determine my success or failure by whether or not people like me. I want you to like me. I don't want you to not like me. I want to be likable. I don't intentionally offend people. You know, it's so funny. I don't know how I got on this. But it's so funny uh, how people, you know, you just, you just say the least little thing. And you have no ill intent at all. You just, you can say Jesus loves you. And then, well, do you think I not know that? You think I not know that Jesus loves me? Why do you have to tell me Jesus loves me? Now, I'm just giving you a silly example. But it's the least little things, man, the least little things. So, so that's not what I live for. You know what? I, you don't want to know how I measure whether we're doing it right or we're not? Is our people loving Jesus? Are people worshiping him? Because if they're worshiping him, then we're in the right spot. We're in the right place. If they're worshiping me, you're in trouble. If you're worshiping the building we have, you're in real big trouble. If you're, if you're worshiping whether or not we have every seat filled and every fog machine working and every light working and every, you are in big, big trouble. But when you have a dissatisfaction <laughs> for the things of this world, we could be meeting in a tent with no air condition and acoustic guitar and people who can't sing. And it would be the best experience of your day. Because it's all about him. It doesn't matter. Now listen, I, I believe in skill and anointing. So <laughs> I thank God for skill and anointing. But I don't worship that. I thank God for both though. Number two, we forget what is behind. What do you have that needs to be forgotten? It, it got quiet in here. It got quiet in here. What do you have that needs to be forgotten? Some of you, just as I said that, pop, those thoughts just came. I need to forget this. I need to forget that. I need to. Hey, we've all got those moments. Good and bad. A lot of times we tend to gravitate to the, the bad. <laughs> a lot of times when we hear things like that, we're like, oh, I wish I could forget this. I wish, and people, people tell you, well, you can't, you can't forget. You can't forget what happened to you. You, you, you right, that's, I, I'm like, that, that you, you talk to people. Anybody ever heard that before? You, you can't forget, but you can forgive. Anybody heard that? Anybody? That's, that's, a, that's a common phrase out there. That's not what my Bible says. I never could reconcile that, that, that little cliche thought, you can forgive, but you can't forget. We've all probably said it. But I, I can't reconcile that with the Bible. Paul said, I forget. I put it behind. It's on the dunghill. I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't mean that we deny reality. You've, thank you, Holy Ghost. I'm going to stay up here so everybody can see me. But you didn't deny reality. You've been holding on to it for 20 years. Good preaching, Pastor. <laughs> you're not denying it. You're holding on to it. And it's got a hold on you. And you've been dragging it around. It's time to forget that. Good and the bad. And the in-between. 
We learn from our experience, yes. We forgive in the moment, yes. We live a life of forgiveness, yes. All of those things. But the experiences, I, I don't know what you're talking about. They're out there. I think, you know, you know what the Bible says? Let me, let, me, let me tell you what the Bible says. In Psalm 77, 11, David addressed this. He said, I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yeah. What do we remember? The deeds of the Lord. I don't want to hear your sad story 20 years later. You want to, you want to know what I want to hear? You want to know what, what Jesus wants to hear? The deeds of the Lord. What did God do in that? Yeah, that happened, but what did God do? Tell me what Jesus did. How did Jesus show up in the middle of that mess? How did Jesus change? I get so sick and tired of people. I'm, I know I'm on my soapbox. I'm the preacher right now, so you have to deal with me. But I get so sick and tired of, of when people get up and they testify, Well, life has been so horrible. I've had the same hangnail for 20 years, and it's driving me crazy. You know people like that. They got the same sad story every time you talk to them. Tell me something that Jesus is doing. Even if you got a blasted hangnail, tell me how you're getting to the doctor and Jesus is going to get that thing fixed. I mean, goodness gracious, give me Jesus. Remember the deeds of the Lord. Forget the rest. Put it out on the trash pile. Let, let Kimball come and take it away. Get rid of it. The Passion Notes of Acts 3.19 say this. I really like this. Peter uses the Greek word here to turn back to God or be converted. So when we repent, we turn back to God. We need to not only repent, but to return home to God's grace and truth. Man, isn't that true? When we get out there in the no man land of everybody that done did me wrong, we're not in the Father's house. You can't live in the Father's house dealing with everybody's trouble and trials. You're out trying to fix it all or live in it all, live in the mess. We've got to get back home to God's grace and truth. This is a Hebraic thought of returning to the Lord. Every Jew, and it gives the word, the return, every Jew should know what that means. Come back to God. Repentance and return is more than a passive changing of one's mind. The Greek word, you, now I just want to pause there. We, we, we use this a lot with salvation, repent. You know, it's not, we, we hear people say, well, you change your mind. No. Repentance is not just changing your mind. Repentance is not just changing an idea or thought. Repentance is not just turning over a new leaf saying, I'm going to have a New Year's resolution on something. Repentance is a change of life. Amen. Good preaching. The repentance, when you repent, you're turning to God. It means that you're leaving, you're forsaking the pig slop, and you're, you're coming home to the Father's house. That's what that means. It means a way of life has been changed. It's a transformation. And this doesn't just happen once. This is ongoing, everyday life. Where am I feed, feeding with the pigs, and where am I pursuing God? It's every day, man. It's every day God's saying, hey, that's the pig slop. I've got something better for you. Yeah. The Greek word used here means obliterated or canceled. And then the cooling breeze, that to, to be in the presence of the Lord, the cooling breeze, which occurs only here in the New Testament. This hints of the time when God walked with Adam in the cooling breeze of the day. In other words, the work of the cross begins the restoration of paradise within the hearts of Christ's followers. What is, where is God trying to get you and I to? In the pursuit of God and the pursuit of Him. He's, he's bringing us back into that paradise place, in the place like, just like it was in the garden, just like it was in the cool of the day where God walked with man and man walked with God. I jotted down this note and thinking about it, never, never substitute nostalgia for hope. In the church world, we, we think a lot in the terms of nostalgia. Oh, don't you remember when? The good old days. And, and you know, we can do it in a lot of different contexts. You know, in, in, in the revival world, in, in churches with revival, you get it too. Oh, you remember Brownsville and how good those meetings were. You remember back when God was moving and people were running to the altar. And remember remember the, the Rodney meetings, the river meetings, where people were laughing in the joy. And remember when, when the angels sang. And remember the stories. And we go and 
And we remember and it's nostalgic. Remember the deeds of the Lord. Who was Jesus in that? What was Jesus doing in those meetings? What was Jesus doing in your life? Tell me about Jesus, not just about a preacher. Tell me about Jesus, not just a service. Tell me about Jesus and the goodness of the Lord. And then thirdly, how do we press on? We strain forward to what lies ahead. Where is our effort, where is our energy applied in straining forward? Pressing in to take hold of him. In 1 Corinthians 9, it says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What is he saying here? What is Paul saying? Was Paul some avid boxer? Was he some avid runner we didn't know about? No. He's, he's using metaphors in the natural of running and disciplining. Runners discipline their bodies. They train. They discipline themselves. They watch what they eat. Boxers are, are constantly uh, preparing their bodies to go into the ring. They're disciplining themselves. That's, that's the pursuit of God. We're disciplining ourselves. We're pursuing Him. Your faith is active, not passive. It's, there's a work of faith in your life. It's given freely. It's deposited freely. But it produces good works. It produces activity. It's, it's causing yourself to come into alignment with the Word of God. It's diving into Scripture. It's reading His Word. It's praying. It's worshiping. It's, it's spending time in His presence. It's placing yourself. We say it all the time. Laying yourself in the way of allurement. Finding out where Jesus is going and get there. Where's Jesus at today and get there? Where's he at in your life? I mean, that's a great question. Wake up, Jesus, where are you headed today? Where are you going? I sure hope you're going to work with me. You know, I sure, but, but, but really, where is, he, where is he moving? What's he doing? What is he put, what is Jesus putting his finger on in your life today? What word is he giving you for someone else today? What scripture is he stirring in your heart? What miracle are you going to witness today? Do you ever think about that when you get up? Oh, what miracle am I going to see today? How am I going to see Jesus use me to minister to someone else today? I mean, after all, you, you are carrying the keys of the kingdom. After all, you're carrying the same anointing that, that broke the death's stronghold. It's on the inside of you. Pressing into Jesus is, is doing just that. God, what are you going to do today? And it doesn't always go the way that you think it's going to. Pressing into Jesus, can I, I want to share something. Kathy didn't know I was going to do this. I'm going to hopefully not embarrass her. I'll probably say this again on Friday, so I've got the microphone. (laughs) One of the things, I've, I've been with a lot of people at times of death. I've been, a, I've been in a lot of situations watching that transition from life to death. And that transition looks a lot different for every person. It's different for every person. It's just as unique as the person and the family and the, the, the environment, what's happening. Uh, but I was, somebody didn't put their phone on stun mode. I heard it. I was amazed watching and being part of this transition with with Kathy and DJ. Um, by the way, make no mistake, DJ is very much alive. He's, he's not dead. He's, he's, he's not dead. <laughs> he's, he's better than we are right now, that is for sure. I'm a little jealous. But I watched... From point, I mean, from moments go, you know, in, in leading up to this, we knew that, that DJ wasn't going to be with us long. We knew that things were going to transition quickly. I'll never forget in June when we first got the call, when I first got that call from DJ after he got his results, 
and he, he called the same day. It was pretty quick after he got the results that, that it was officially cancer and, you know, and having to walk our ministry team through what was getting ready to happen. And I knew in that moment, I just knew that this was not going to be long, that DJ was, was going to be in heaven pretty quick. And, and I just knew that in my heart. And, and we, we even talked about that in the minister's meeting. We said, we're going we're gonna to prepare to walk down this road of death pretty quick, I believe. And uh, so we began to prepare and just know that this is what, where Jesus was going, and it was going to be good. No matter where it went, it was going to be good. And um, we began to walk down that path. And I, I, every conversation with DJ, and we had, we had a few, but every conversation was, I'm ready to be with Jesus. I know Jesus has got this covered. He talked about the goodness of the Lord. He knew that God had Kathy covered. I mean, on and on. Uh, I even had a conversation. I don't think I've ever told Kathy this. I apologize. You're hearing it from the platform. But um, at one point, he even said, Pastor, I don't think I'm going to be here long. He knew. Like he, and I'm sure you all had that conversation. He knew uh, that, that this was going to transition quick. But one of the things that I watched from that Saturday where he had the cardiac arrest all the way through him stepping into glory. He was telling people about Jesus the whole way through. He, yeah. He, he kept saying, this is, this is for the gospel. He said, I want people to know Jesus. I mean, all of it. He said, if one, he said his words, if one person comes to know Jesus through this, it was worth it. His words. And it was just constant. That was, that was, that was him laying in the hospital bed, dying tubes, literally tubes everywhere. That was his, that was his comment, if one person. And, you know, and, and so I watched Kathy, uh, you know, from day one. They had to move her out of the, the hospital room because she was shouting Jesus too much. You know, she, DJ's having a cardiac arrest, and she's, Jesus, heal him, Jesus, touch him. And Heather's on the phone with her, and I can hear Kathy yelling on the phone in the other room. And they, the nurse said, ma'am, Jesus is here, but we need to be able to hear each other. Um, so they moved her out. So from that, from that, and then watching, they prior to that happening, they were witnessing to the roommate. And then throughout every person that came in DJ's ICU room, this is no joke. I, I, this is no joke. I know that, that Summa City Hospital knows Celebration Church and Pastor Zach and everything about us. I, I mean, I was sitting in the room, and one of the respiratory therapists come in, and, and he's telling me everything about me. He's, he's telling me about the book I wrote. He's telling me about living from New Orleans. He knows everything. I'm like, Kathy, what are you doing? <laughs> she said, I'm telling everybody that Jesus has got this, and I'm telling them about my church. And literally every, every nurse that came in that room heard about Jesus. And, and I watched. Yeah, coaching. And, and I watched uh, as, as she ministered that Sunday morning when we were, remember, we were all worshiping and praying for DJ. So the back end of that story, and I'll share it here, is that they had the service on, on her phone in the hospital room watching it. And one of, one of her final pictures was one of the nurses walking in, watching them worshiping together. And wanting to hear the story of Jesus and took a picture of the two of them worshiping together because it was so precious that in the middle of all this, they're worshiping. And Kathy was saying, that's my church. They're praying for, for us right now. And they're worshiping on our behalf right now, praying for, for DJ. And that, and that was the miracle. That was, that, there was, he had no effects from that cardiac arrest. He was 10 minutes, no pulse, no breathing for 10 minutes, no effects. He died healthy. Other than the cancer, he died healthy. There was nothing wrong with his mind. There was nothing wrong with anything. He actually, he actually said, Jesus, I'm ready to go. And he went. <laughs> it was literally just like that. Jesus, Jesus had, why do I tell you that story? Not to make you cry. I know it's, you know, all the emotions. But, but I tell you that because that, to me, that's the story of Jesus. All of this other stuff doesn't matter. Family can't get in and see me. That's COVID land, all the stuff. That, that's all great, but it doesn't matter. The one thing that matters to me is that I know him and I make him known. I've got to keep pursuing. Even in death, I'm going to pursue after him. Even in crossing from this life to the next, I'm pursuing after him. It was the, it was the best. I said it. I told Kathy. I said, Kathy, I'm so proud of you. I was the best. It was, it was the best 
experience I've ever had as a pastor walking with someone as they crossed over in the next life. It was amazing watching the, the, the testimony of Jesus in this life as it continues on into the next. I can't wait to see the other side of that story. <laughs> and I hope it happens soon. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that, that you have deposited righteousness in our heart, that you've, you've given us not a righteousness of our own, but the righteousness of Christ that leaves us pursuing after you. That it causes us to pursue. It causes us to run hard, as David wrote, to pursue hard after Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, God. We're pursuing, pursuing hard after Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you stand with me this morning? You know, I know there are a lot of people, and hopefully you haven't tuned me off yet. You haven't turned off the, the feed. You're still watching. Don't turn off yet. Those of you in this room, don't turn me off yet. You know, I want to say something to you that are watching right now. I know that the people who are with me in this room love Jesus. I know that they're pursuing Christ because they're here. They're loving Jesus. But I want to know about you. Are you pursuing after Christ today? Is he the lover of your soul? Or is he just a story that you heard from someone else? Is he just something that you've heard about from someone else? You've watched someone else's story? Maybe you went to church a long time ago. Do you know Christ? Do you have the righteousness of Jesus? Have you been clothed with the garments of his righteousness, are you still wearing your filthy rags? He doesn't ask you to come perfect. He doesn't ask you to come cleaned up. He says, come in your mess, come in your pig slop, come in your filthy garments. Come with your addiction, come with your hurts, come with your hangups. Come all, come on, come all. Come in your mess. And I'll give you something new to wear. I'll give you something new to put on and it'll change your life. I'll give you designer clothes. I'll take the mess. I'll take the, the yuck. And I'll give you, I'm giving you heavenly made righteousness. Heavenly designed righteousness that you can't get in this life or by your own works. Wherever you're at right now and you're watching this video, you say, I, I need Jesus. I don't have that experience and I need him. Just ask him right now, right where you're at. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need this. What this preacher is talking about, I need. You, you may not even know the words for it. You may not even know how to say it. It's okay. Jesus already knows. You just say, I need that. If that's all you got, I need that. If that's all you know what to say, I need that. That's good. Jesus knows. Say, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I need you to come and forgive me. I need you to be my Lord. If you've prayed that prayer before and you say, I've prayed it before and, you know, things just aren't going really well right now. It's okay. Jesus does do-overs. All the times. <laughs> All the time. He just wants you to come to him. He wants you to come to him and be changed. He can take your mess, the mountain that you keep going around, and he can change it. He can change it. Let me pray for you this morning and everyone in the room. Father, I thank you for those that are watching right now. I thank you, Lord, for your blessing on their life. Lord, wherever they're watching this, whatever's going on in their world, that you would come and be glorified in them. The redemption would have its perfect work in their life. They'd be changed. They'd be transformed. They'd be filled with your spirit, and you'd set them on fire as soul winners, Lord. You do something incredible in their life. Take their story, take their mess, make it a testimony, make it a triumph, make it a victory, a story, God, that only you can write. And use it for your glory. 